It's an incredible passage of Scripture, isn't it? To think about how Christ is magnifying His Father, and He's in us. I'm glad to come into the house of the Lord this morning. How about you? Let's see. I need your help. It's not real difficult. You know Tom and Mary and Ellen, the aunts and uncles you have, the neighbors. You enjoy church so much. Let's invite them next week. And next week, even more important than those two weeks, are the first week in April. Make sure you invite at least five people. How many was that? Now, I was sitting across from somebody last evening, and they said, here's the way it works, Pastor. You can't just call them once because you get their answering machine. But you say something like this, hey, just wanted to call and have a couple, you know, bring you up to speed on some good things that are happening. I'll call back. He said, if it doesn't work the first time, you try it a second and the third. Because when you get a hold of them on the fifth or sixth time, they'll know it's real important to you, right? So, let's, let's just share the amazing goodness of God in the worship experience in the April what? April 1st in particular. It's been our delight, and no, I'm not going down memory lane. Just want to say a word or two of thank you uh, on behalf of Karen. I'll probably get myself in trouble no matter what I say. I didn't get it word checked or spell checked um, this morning. It's been a delight. Uh, as we travel out here in, let's see, 2000 and 2000. It was July of 2000 for the first time, and then went on the uh, itinerant route of being region director in 2004, in which the motto is TJ Maxx, never the same place twice. And uh, Karen said, you can go wherever you want. I'm going to be staying week after week in Santa Clarita. So thank you for taking good care of her and allowing me to visit as I had opportunity to. And it's been a real delight to be with you the last almost 18 months. And some of you have said, well, where are you going? And I said, not to worry, the Lord will provide. Um, so it looks like there are some things underway that I'm not at liberty to share because they're not finalized yet. Unless I say something uh, incorrectly, Sometimes things change, but God's taking care of us as he always has. And so while, while we'll be making that transition, I'm really excited about the pastor that's coming to take you on the next leg of your spiritual journey because God brings pastors for just the right period of time and we move the congregation and you shape us, then he brings somebody else. And it's, amazing, it's an amazing thing to see how the congregation grows. We have been journeying together 
on some different topics recently. And this morning, we're going to look at magnification. I think we are. All right. So just by way of introduction, Jesus often told parables and stories that kind of stuck with people. We're going to look at a, a few things this morning. And the question is, what does hair, sand, and magnifying glass have to tell us about Christ, God, uh, about Christ, God, and us? And you're probably thinking, where is the pastor coming from? Let's look for just a moment or two. In uh, past messages, particularly in Unlimited, you may recall, there's kind of a thread and an arc here. Uh, when we were looking at the unlimited potential that men and women have, we talked a little bit about God having the hair on our very heads numbered. So if you have 150,007, he knows that. And when you comb it in the morning and there's three in the sink, he knows that. A human hair under magnification, a compound microscope, is uh, on the screen with 100 times magnification. Actually, it's many more times than 100 because the original picture was 100 times magnification. And given the fact that it's about two or three thousandths of an inch um, in width, that is probably tens or hundreds of thousands of times magnification. This is at 400 times magnification. Now, I don't know how God does it. He not only knows the hairs on your head, he can tell you the width of each one. The thinnest hair, just a couple of trivial things, the thinnest hair is about two thousandths of an inch in diameter, and the thickest is about six thousandths. Most is around four thousandths of an inch which you would need a micrometer. Those of you that work in a machine shop know what that is. You dial it down and you measure it. And aren't you glad you don't have to do that every day? But God knows all about that, all about everything in your life like that. So what has sand got to do with, um, what has sand got to do with God and our salvation? Sand is really interesting because while it looks so small, and so very unimportant, kind of like the hairs on your head. Every single one of them are different, but you take them all, all for granted all the time. The sand on the beach. You just can't number how many grains of sand are on the beach. But yet, just like snowflakes, every grain is different. Colorful structures, unique as a snowflake. What an amazing God. And in the church, colorful people, just like snowflakes, all different, but made in the image of God to carry forth his mission of carrying the gospel to a perishing world. We use magnifying glasses uh, as you advance in age. You use magnifying glasses to read things. And if you're young, you use, magnifying, you use a magnifying glass to intensify the sun rays. And if you haven't done it, kids, ask mom or dad for a magnifying glass and see if you can take it out on a sunny day 
and actually burn a hole a far way away, a far way away from the house in a piece of paper. It's a lot of fun to magnifying things. But when you stop and think about it, when you just take a look at the world itself, where is Jesus in the world's viewpoint now? Where is God? At one time, more commonplace. At one time, larger on the horizon. But he seems to be so small and so forgotten as if just to occupy his space sometimes in the lives of others and maybe even in our life like a grain of sand or just the width of a hair. But Christ's purpose was to magnify his Father. And our purpose is to magnify Christ to the world. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 and just pick up a few high points. Now if you'd like, open your Bibles, take your favorite marker and underline. You have the, the pastor's permission to underline in your Bible and star these pieces because there will be a time this week that you may need to be able to find these rather quickly. Colossians 1.10. We're just going to look at 5 or 6. Walk in the ways of the Lord, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being found truthful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, that we might magnify Christ in our life, in the ways that we walk in the ways that we are drawn closer to Him. And as we do that, strength and power and patience comes into our lives. Every once in a while, I do that in reverse. It's the patience piece that I need. That I need. When I want something, I want it. I'll have all the patience as long as it comes right now. It's like, Lord, give me patience and I want it now. But as Christ works in our life, Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with what? Joyfulness. Do you see that progression? Strength, power, patience. And when Christ is in your life, it brings forth an attitude of joyfulness. I like to be joyful. How about you? But at times, there are just things that press in to our lives, which suck the joy out of them, which makes us go, where is God when I need Him most? Maybe you've been there this week. Maybe it was last month. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're in the joyous peace. But at some point in the future, it will be the devil that will come calling and say, wait a minute, I'm going to just change things. Strength, power, and what? What's the last one? Joyfulness. Those pieces are what God wants through Christ to bring into our lives. We can stop and go home. But I got better news for you yet. It doesn't stop there. He brings into our lives where there once was darkness, doubt, and discouragement, the light of the gospel giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us, meet to be partakers 
of the inheritance of the saints in light who delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Can't you just anchor yourself around that for a while? Once walking in darkness, wait a minute, I'm going to walk in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to look back and say, those were days of darkness, but I'm not going back to the darkness. I'm going to walk wherever Christ wants me to walk. I'm going to say the things He wants me to say. I'm going to do the things He wants me to do because Jesus is living in my life. He glorifies the Father and I want to glorify Him. As we do so, He brings the forgiveness and redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. If we did not have that hope, we would be of all men, the Scripture says, most hopeless. The forgiveness that comes through Christ allows us to magnify Him not through what we're doing, but for what He is doing through us. And Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, came to magnify God's character to us. For by Him, His created power, were all things created in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities or power. All things were created by Him, and what? For Him. Is there anything that was created that Christ did not create? The answer is no. So if He's creator of all, and He gives us life, and He sustains us, and He wants the best for us, that's a good place to be, isn't it? His working through our lives, filling us. Jesus, the sustainer, He's before, before all things, and by Him all things consist. Before all things and in our lives. Christ in the church, how does it work? He seeks to manifest His presence and bring His glory into His body. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he might have the preeminence. Have you ever seen it, friends? Not in this church, but in a church a million miles away. Something happens, something is said, something wasn't decided right, or the church is leaning this way, or the church is leaning that way. And unless it gets straightened out the way I want it, I'm just not going to be part of it. That is to say... You can turn your back on Christ who's the head of the church because somebody said something. You can turn around and walk away from Him because it's not pleasing to you. Who's the head of the church when we're thinking like that? I am. You are. But when we realize what the body of Christ is, when we realize that He wants to magnify to the world what He can do through His people. It's an amazing thing to think that He's the head of the church, isn't it? So why would we, why would we try to rent the church apart just to get our way? I don't find the image of Christ in that, do you? I'm glad that we don't do that. And if you're tempted to, call me up. We'll have a few words in prayer together. 
It's an amazing thing because when I look at the church, if we individually are created in the image of God, what do you think the church is created of? In the image of what? In the image of God. And I'd like to suggest to you today, if you want to see the fullness of Christ, look at his body collectively. Because I believe in a special way, you're here in church today to go on God's purpose and mission to reach others with the gospel. But each of you have unique weakness, <laughs> unique <laughs> strengths and characters. <laughs> and my tongue has weaknesses. <laughs> As unique characters in the image of God, you've been given special talents. That without those talents, the picture, the corporate picture of God that He wants to take to the world is, is incomplete if you're missing. So Christ, indeed, is head of the church. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And this is one of my favorite verses from 1 Colossians. For Christ in you, for the mystery which he hath hid from the ages, from the generations, but now is made manifest to his, in his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Where is Christ? Where is his righteousness? Where do I find it? Which is Christ, what? In you, the hope of glory. You like that passage? So, let's do this this morning. Turn to the person to your left or your right and say, I'm, glo- I'm so glad to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn to the person closest to you. So how is God going to be magnified through Christ? How is Christ going to be magnified through our lives? In Christ we find comfort and love, as Colossians 2.2 says, that their hearts might be knitted together, be comforted, be knitted together in love. And all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement and the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful tapestry of words? Just as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are woven together, knitted together, so is the body of Christ. It's a mystery. It's a mystery how churches can figure all that out. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit being united, bringing comfort and love to another one to another, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. As you have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk in Christ. And then, I must go back for just a few moments to Psalm 34. Open your Bibles. We don't have slides for Psalm 34, but I'm going to pick a few verses out to share with you this morning. Psalm 34, you may recall a Psalm of David. And you may recall we had a message many weeks ago 
about the heart of David. David was walking close to the Lord, turned away from him, sin came back to the Lord. It's a story of forgiveness. And David wrote in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. If you could only carry one text with you today, it would be this text. Because you may be glorifying in your life all kinds of different things. You may be at the pinnacle of your game in your profession. Your family may be just right on track. Everything's going together. And when you can squeeze God in, you give Him the leftover time. Ever been there, done that? Got the t-shirt? Scripture says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. As we do that, draw close to Christ, we bring Him the honor and glory. We focus our priorities on His priority for our life. We exalt and magnify His name. Verse 3 says, in, in Psalm 34, there are a few promises and there's a, there's a little bit of a conversation that goes on between David and the Lord. David says, I sought the Lord and he heard me in verse 4 and he delivered me from my fears. There's these assurances as we go to the Lord and magnify him. He hears, he listens, he delivers, and he delivers us from all of our what? What does the Bible say? All of our what? Our fears. The greatest thing that holds Christians back from magnifying Christ and God is the fear factor that the devil brings into our life. He gets us worrying about things that could never happen and things that are not likely to happen and things that could happen. And we go, we can't go there because I'm so afraid. And if I read this passage right, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all somebody else's fears. No, from all my fears, real and imagined. This poor man, verse 6 says, cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his or hers trouble. I like that promise, don't you? That's a reason to magnify Christ. Wait a minute, Lord, I don't see a way out of this situation. And oftentimes what the Lord does is say, just be still and know that I am God. And just wait and watch. The Lord heard me and saved me out of all my troubles. Verse 7 is a, is a verse that you know well. And the angel of the Lord, what? Encamps around them that fear him and delivers him. I like that verse, don't you? If you haven't started, you better start that one. Around you, can you see it in your mind? In it, imagine it with me. Where are you going to go? 
when the whole host of angels, we need about 5,000 angels around, around her today, it's going to be a difficult day for her. The unseen angels camping around. Much better than, much better than rushing into the day by herself. Lord, could you spare half a dozen? How about three million? You place them around me. I'll walk within your will and your way. I like the next passage. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. O fear the Lord as saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lion shall, uh, shall do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Man, if we only had one passage of the scripture, one chapter of the Bible, this is a psalm that ought to be committed to memory. When you are walking with Jesus, he has said, they shall not want anything good. Have you wanted some things and you didn't get them? What's the reverse or inverse thinking of that? Must have been bad for you, huh? Because God's promises, he'll give you everything that's good for you. Or in the right time. Have you ever wanted anything that God didn't give you? How many have ever wanted that? Yeah, I have. He says, no, wait. A few weeks later, I understand why. A month later, his timing is better than mine. So we see we can magnify, we can magnify Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me, we can magnify Christ as we just wait on him. 11 says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 13 is the instruction to keep your tongue, or my tongue, or our tongues, from evil, and our lips from speaking guile. And 14 is the admonition, depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Then the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. And the face of the, face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Whoa, that's pretty strong, isn't it? God's going to turn his back on those who are accustomed and continually seeking evil. The righteous cry out, 17 says, and the Lord hears him and delivers them out of their troubles. But I like the last verses of Psalm, 30, uh, Psalm 34. We've looked at Colossians on how Christ magnifies his Father. We look in Psalm 34 to see how God is asking us and pleading with us that we might, in our lives, magnify Christ. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and say such as be of a contrite spirit. Did you catch that? Have you ever felt distanced from the Lord? Have you ever said, God, I'm just kind of in no man's land. I'm not real close to you. I'm not real far from you. But the passage says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and says those such as be of a contrite spirit. When you are feeling that you've wandered too far away from God, when you think 
that there's no pathway back. What was that psalm? Psalm 34. God is with those who have a broken heart in a contrite spirit. Father, I don't know how I got here. I don't know. Why did I do that? I wandered just inch by inch by inch. And I'm not even sorry about it. But I find myself so far away. Is there a way you can draw me back? And the promise is, the promise is, that the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And His promise is sure. And as you yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, Christ is magnified again. And then the Lord delivers Him out of all of the afflictions, 18 says. And He keeps His bones. Not one of them shall be broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. But the last verse of Psalm 34, the last verse is the one you ought to underline. The Lord redeemed the soul of His servants, and none of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. Do you like that verse? So, so what's the takeaway today? The takeaway is simply this. Just as Christ magnified the Father, He wants us to magnify Him. And we magnify Him as we yield our lives to Him and allow His power to work through us. So, is He big enough to be concerned about you? Is He too busy? Is He too forgetful? Why do we pray to Him? He already knows what we need. Well, let me tell you folks, if He knows the number of hairs on your head, if He knows the amount of grains on the sand of the sea and the shape and color of each one, He knows all about you. And He loves you in spite of yourself. He loves me in spite of myself. And He offers us that forgiveness and that relationship today. Not that we might be glorified, but that He might be glorified. It's an amazing gospel, isn't it? Oh, that we might magnify Him in all aspects of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, when we think, when we think of the gift of Jesus, your only begotten Son, it's just with utter amazement, Father, and with hearts filled with gratitude that we realize you forgive us. You allowed him to go to the cross that we might have forgiveness. And Father, through the busyness of life, sometimes you get small in our life. Sometimes Jesus is set to the side. But Father, not anymore. 
Not anymore, because this day, Father, we open our lives anew to you. This day, Father, at this time, at this place, we covenant with you to magnify Jesus in our lives, that others might realize there's something different. There's a change. That we walk in the light, that we walk in the joy, that we look around and we speak the word of kindness, that we extend the invitation that others might experience forgiveness, healing, reconciliation, and a walk with you. O oh, Father, magnify Jesus in our lives that we might be filled with him and his character. For we ask it through his precious blood. Amen.